We're excited today to begin a brand new theme for the year. Get off the bus and you're probably wondering, how does that apply to your life and to my life? And how does it all fit together? And why should we get off a bus if we just gotten on a bus? And how does that really fit into the picture of this journey with Jesus Christ? The reality is this, when you believe in someone or something, you place faith in that person or thing. And believing allows you to put something into practice. And as we walk through this new theme for the year, each week we're going to pull out a a characteristic that you and I need to develop in our lives, or maybe not just develop, maybe to build upon. And so today as we begin this this theme for the year, that will really just set us in motion what, what God wants to do in us is to... For us and for me and for you and for all of us who call ourselves Christ followers is to get off the bus and believe that God can and will and has and is able to. No matter what you face today and what I face through Christ, if we believe by faith, then we are able to do more than we could do on our own. And the reality is this, if you just define the word believe, what's the word believe mean? It is to have confidence in the truth or the existence or the reliability of something. It's saying, I believe in this person. I believe in our God. I am confident that if I allow him, I allow God to step into my life and take control of my life, that he can do far more than I could ever do on my own. Many of you have been parts of teams whether it's a sports team or a music team or a military team or a, a teaching team, all of us have had times in our lives where we've been part of a team. And often these teams, they give you jerseys. And if you wear jerseys for a team, on the front of your jersey is the name of the team that you play for. And so this is the team you represent on the front of your jersey. And on a lot of jerseys, on the back of the jersey is your name. This is your name, you're on this team. But our hope is this, that we place more faith in the name that's on the front of our jersey, Jesus, than the name that's on the back of our jersey, which is man. The reason I I say that is this. Once you step on the team, Jesus, you are part of his team. And this team is unstoppable if we allow him to work through us. If you've ever been part of a sports team, you know that there is a team bus. And when you get on this bus, you travel to where your opponent is. And so back in the day when I played high school basketball, maybe some of you can go way back with me, we had an opportunity to travel to basketball games. We would carry boom boxes. You remember those? Let me date myself. And the bigger, the louder. And some of them took 16D batteries. Remember the days, 16D batteries? And so you would open the back and they would just pop out of there. And so in my day when we played basketball was a long time ago, you would sit on the team bus. Now this was before iPods and this was before earbuds and headphones. So if you wanted to hear your song, you just played it louder. And so as you drove on this bus, in my day, there was a lot of queen that was played. And they would play it louder and louder and louder. But we were part of a team. We were trying to get ourselves prepared for the opponent that was there. So you would get on the bus as a team, representing the team name, going to face your opponent. And you would drive to the school. In order to play against the opponent, at some point, you had to get off the bus. God's bus 
is never meant to be a tour bus. It's meant to be an explore and exploit and conquer bus. And if you remain on the bus, all you're doing is out on a sightseeing tour. So if you are part of Team Jesus, God never intended you to just sit on the bus and watch other people play the game. And for you to be an observer, he wants you to get off the bus and get in the game. And by faith, believe that through him, you can overcome this opponent. In 2009, Grace College, where I graduated, my wife graduated, my older son graduated, and my daughter graduated, and my younger son most likely will end up there too, and many of you know, in Winona Lake, Indiana, is an NAIA school, which means it's a smaller school. Now, they have a full athletic program, and at Grace College, they have a basketball team filled with some really talented basketball players. And if you've ever played in a collegiate sport, you always aspire to be a part of a Division I school. Division I, if you're not familiar, is the last stop or the highest stop for collegiate sports. NIIA is about three steps below that. But they're still very talented ball players. But if you're a player in NAIA, you long to play against a Division I school. You long to have a chance to say, I got what it takes. Even though I'm here, I can compete against you. In 2009, November 4, Grace College in Winona Lake had an opportunity to play against IU, Indiana University at Bloomington. Now, if you're a Grace Lancer and you're from Indiana, you get to play against a team that many people root for. So imagine if you can. You're, look out on the schedule. One schedule has NAIA, but there's this date on the calendar that says one day we're going against a Division I school, and it's called Indiana University. Pastor Tannen, who is our children's pastor, played on the Grace College team that was playing against IU. Now imagine if you were the coach of this team, trying to get your team prepared for this team that was an elite team that was players that were the best players that ended up in Division I. Coach Kessler was, and is still the coach of Grace College, needed to inspire his players to get ready for the game. Pastor Tannen can attest to this. I heard the story right after it happened, and after I heard it, I was ready to run through a brick wall, even though I wasn't on the team. They drove down to Bloomington. Some of you have been there, you're IU fans. And as they're traveling there, they're thinking about this game. And as they pull into the Bloomington campus, it wasn't your typical NAIA school because it was bigger and you didn't park in the parking lot and walk to the basketball auditorium. You actually drove in underneath and parked the bus inside of this building. Pastor Tannen will attest to that. So picture if you can. You're the smaller school playing against the school that's the elite school. You're driving in to their auditorium. And as you look around, everything seems bigger. And all of a sudden, you realize you have to ask yourself this question. Can I compete against this elite team? We have to do that all the time in life. Do I have what it takes to win this game? Coach Kessler is a master motivator. So he saw the glazed eyes on the bus as they're about ready to walk in, lace up their shoes, and play against IU. 
As they were ready to get off the bus, Coach Kessler stood from the front of the bus, turned around and looked at his team and said these words that I'll never forget. He looked at these basketball players, including Pastor Tannen, and he looked at them and he knew he needed to pour courage into them. He needed to, to like uh, put some gas in the fire that was burning in their hearts. And he said these words that I have never forgotten. He looked at the Grace College team and said this, if you don't think you can win, then don't get off the bus. Now, woo, huh? Can you imagine as a player hearing that from your chief, your general, your coach who, who recruited you? He's looking at you and he looks at his team and says, if you don't think you can compete and you don't think you can win, then don't get off the bus. Needless to say, every single Grace College basketball player got off the bus. And even if you've ever been to a a game at IU, when the opponent comes in, their graphic design department takes and makes posters of the opposing team. They still do this, by the way. Grace College are called the Grace College Lancers. And so they had these posters hung all over Bloomington, all over campus. Pastor Tannen grabbed one of these and it says, grind down Grace Lancers. They had a choice to make. Would they sit on the bus or would they get off the bus and believe that they could win the game? It's true for us. You and I have opponents out there. You and I have an opportunity to face adversity. And you and I have the same ability to overcome if we rely and believe that the name on the fronts of our jersey can overcome any opponent that we have in front of us. My hope this year is this, that you stop sitting on the bus. When you became part of Team Jesus, you were never meant to just make it into a tour bus. That bus The bus that has and houses and seats the followers of Christ is an exploit and explore and conquer bus. It's not a tour bus. And so this year I'm going to ask you, when adversity comes your way, when it seems like you're getting no's from everyone else, there needs to come a point in your life where you say, do I believe that in the power of the Lord, that we can defeat this opponent. And if I do, then I'm getting off the bus. You ready to get off the bus this year? Well, grab your Bibles and I'm going to show you someone that did just that. Turn to Mark chapter five. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. Mark chapter five, verses 21 to 29 is what we're going to begin by reading. So hold your hand up if if you want a Bible put in your hand. Stand with me when you find Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 29. Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 29. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, 
My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. You may have a seat. As you think about this coming year, as you think about getting off the bus and believing, keep this in mind. We all need someone who believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. And that someone is Jesus Christ. Jesus believes in you in 2017 far more, far, 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 far more than you'll ever believe in yourself. Pull away and consider this story for a second. Jesus is wiped out. If you read the prior testimony of what took place before him getting in this boat and landing on the shore, he had been through a week of healing, casting out demons and calming a storm. And now he's back on the shore and thousands of people are standing there. So picture, he's weary, he's tired. God became man. And so as he looks at the shoreline, we know from the text that many were gathered there. Thousands were gathered there, standing like, Jesus, I need this. And Jesus, I need that. Jesus, give me time. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, give me that job. Jesus, touch this, touch that. So as he's working this boat, and they're coming to the shore, there is a crowd of people longing for attention. And there's this one man that was in this crowd of thousands, and his name is Jairus. He's a father. And it says in the text that he's a synagogue leader. That would be much similar to today, a pastor. A pastor, and I would say a daddy, is standing on the shore, just hoping beyond hope, just hoping beyond hope that Jesus will see him amongst the thousands of people that are there. And the reason that he's there is that his daughter is sick, almost to the point of dying. So he's a daddy on a mission, and he wants to get Jesus' attention. Now just pull away and think about this for those of you who are fathers. I love the way this daddy is fighting for his daughter's life. He believed. If he could get to Jesus, then his daughter would have a fighting chance to live. Imagine standing on the shore and hoping beyond hope that you could get a word in with Jesus. He could have given up before it even started. So imagine you're the dad. I'm a dad. I have a daughter, Hannah. My daughter is sick. I just left home and she's not doing well. And the only answer and the best answer that I have, if I can get to Jesus... Imagine yourself working your way through this crowd, bumping people out of the way and wanting to stand right out front and say, Jesus, come to me first. Have you ever been a dad on a mission? Have you ever had a desperation mode where you knew you needed to do this for the child that they weren't going to make it? That's what this daddy was facing. But here's what I know. Somehow in the midst of all these thousands of people standing on the shoreline, Jesus saw this daddy. Why? Here's why. Your faith will always gain the attention of Jesus. It always will. It doesn't matter where you're at. 
It doesn't matter if you're in Kenya or Uganda or Cambodia or Thailand or you're in the land of Goshen. Your faith will gain the attention of the billions of people on earth if you believe that God can do for you what you can't do for yourself. Look at verse 24. Look back at this text. Mark chapter 5 and verse 24. So Jesus did what? What did he do? Went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed against him. Jesus went with him. Picture this. Somehow, this dad got the attention of Jesus amongst the thousands of people. I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he held up a banner and said, Jesus, Jesus. I don't know if he ran. But the text says he pleaded with Jesus. He knelt and pleaded. I don't know how he got there. I don't know if he gave some elbows. I don't know if he knocked people down. But he was a man on a mission. And he was a daddy trying to save his daughter. He was fighting for his sons and daughters. And the next moment we know, Jesus is following him and going with him. Now imagine, your daughter is dying. And you know, Jesus, not only do I got to get to you, Jesus, but you got to get to my home. Can you imagine his pace? Can you imagine how fast he might have been walking? Like, Jesus, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Jesus, don't stop and talk to them. They don't have what I have. Can you imagine all of a sudden feeling this, 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 this urgency? We got to get you to my daughter. Then it says this in verse 25. Verse 25 says this. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. In addition to his daughter dying, someone else needed help too. This is the moment in your faith journey this coming year where you can begin to waver. And we begin entertaining thoughts from the enemy. All of a sudden, like everything's going your way. For 14 days, it seems like that dream's going to be realized. For 14 days, it's been good. We're moving in a good direction. Seems like Jesus is on my side. We're moving, moving, moving. Everything's working in place. I got the prayer team. I got the request team. We're moving, moving. Yet they're still saying yes. They're still saying yes. Keep moving towards that dream. Keep moving, keep moving. But then something comes in and blocks the forward progress. And often it's thoughts from the enemy. And the enemy comes with thoughts like this. Jesus will probably give up on your situation because hers is much more important than yours. She's been sick for 12 years. Your daughter's been sick for a month. She's been crying out to Jesus for 12 years. And all of a sudden, the enemy will come and say, are you kidding me? Why would he take time for you when she's been sick for 12 years? Her situation is much more important. Give up. Jesus doesn't have time for you. And so these thoughts come from the enemy that, that, that we, we, we have to speak, capture, and collect and speak back in truth. Or maybe even it's a thought like this. Jesus probably is weighing out who he'll help by how holy I've been and how good I've been. My sin sin compared to her sin. Boy, I'm going to lose this one because she's been sick for 12 years. I'm sure she's been confessing and she's been serving for 12 years. And for me, like I just began this journey. And so why would Jesus, why would he ever? And so there's these thoughts that say, give up, give up, give up, give up, give up. You'll never get a chance. And maybe a thought comes like this. This will probably end up like it always does. Don't raise your hands. How many times have that thought crossed through your brain? God never helps me. 
He may help him and help him and help him because, you know, hey, he serves God and she serves God and they're, they're prayer warriors and they, 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 they serve, but hey, why, why would he help me? I'm, I mean, I'm on team Jesus, but, you know, it's like it's the first time I got off the bus. Like, why would Jesus help me? And so in those moments, hear me out. Our belief begins and ends with the words we speak to ourselves in those moments. Words speak life or death to your dream. And so I always say, speak truth about your future. Do you realize that Cleveland Clinic has done studies on our thoughts? And they have conclusively come to evidence that you and I think 80% of our thoughts every day are negative. Think about that. Every day, 80% thoughts run through our mind are negative. So we have to capture, we have to seize, and we have to throw it away and speak truth. And if you're not speaking truth back to those thoughts, listen to me, you will give up and you will stay on the bus. So in those kind of moments, you just have to speak truth. Let me just, let me give you a, a real example. We do it almost, we don't even recognize it. Like for instance, as I think about the disease of Alzheimer's that, that my mom deals with, and I think, it'd be real easy for me to say, <laughs> I'll probably get it too. I don't speak that. I'm not speaking that. I'm speaking that I'm going to live a healthy life in Jesus' name. And I'm going to, till the last breath I breathe, God is going to give me health. And when he takes me, I'm going to be running people to Jesus Christ. Amen. See, I speak truth. I'm not going to believe lies. And so we do things like that. Well, that's probably how I'll end up. That's how our marriage will end up. Guess what? If you're speaking death, Listen to me, your words speak death or life. And so this father had a decision to make. Would he say, well, she's probably more important than I am. You see, God believes in you more than we believe in ourselves. And God is not watching your life to find the faults in you, but all that is right with you. So we always think God's keeping score. Like, oh, there's sin, there's sin. Listen, my Bible says he chooses not to remember our sins as far as the east from the west. And when God looks at us, we are covered with the righteousness of Jesus. You see, we sometimes believe that God would never allow that dream, that event, that healing ever to come our way because there's too much wrong with us. And hear me out. Listen to me. As long as you're confessing, Jesus is editing your future. As long as you're confessing your sin, he is editing your sin. And if he's editing your sin, he's making it right. Let me explain. Suppose, for, just for sake of illustration, the basketball analogy. Suppose that you're a high school basketball player and you want to become a collegiate basketball player. And your dad is able to edit videos. And so you go to your father and you say, dad, can you put a highlight reel of me playing basketball together? Sure, I'll do that for you, son. So your dad goes to all the games and he's collecting your dunks and your assists and he's collecting when you hit threes from 19-9 and 29-9. He's collecting spin moves and, 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 and your highlight reel is full of everything you did right. And so he, he puts it together and then he sends it out. He sends it to the coach. And the coach looks at this highlight reel and says, man, that kid never misses. That kid can dribble. That kid can do a spin move. That kid can hit a 19-9 and a 29-9 J. And look at him. Like, why wouldn't we want him on our team? He never 
misses. You see, sometimes we think that all that we have for us and all that we have to give is all of our faults. But listen to me. Jesus is constantly editing your highlight reel. And when he sees it, you never miss. Do you think you would, your dad would dare, your father would ever send a highlight reel when you double dribbled? Do you think your dad would ever send a highlight reel when you, when you missed three layups in a row? Do you think your dad would ever send a highlight reel that shows you missing dunks? No, it's the same with Jesus. His videotape of you is you never miss. And so as long as you're confessing, he is editing. And so when you're on the bus, get off of the bus and think, with God as my coach, he is the editor of my life. And when he looks at me, the righteousness of Jesus is all over me. And you can do anything through Christ. So look at, read on here. Look at verse 29. It says, she had suffered this woman a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be what? What's it say? Healed. What's the next word in verse 29? Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, I'm just going to put the dad hat on here and put the human side of, of, of Jim Brown on this as the daddy to Hannah Brown. Jesus has the ability to do for others what we might wish he wouldn't on his way to answering our request too. Let me put the dad hat on here and jump into this narrative and you put on the dad hat. Your daughter's sick at home and she's dying. And as best as you know, if Jesus doesn't get there in three hours, it's over. Now just put the dad hat on. Imagine this man. All of a sudden, this other woman pops on the scene. Like, like, I'm just being very human. Like, lady, get out of the way. Like, fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your homes. Like, I love you, but l- l- let me tell you, like, listen, nothing's stopping Jesus from coming to my house, so get out of the way. Think about this for a second, what he's, what's going through his mind. Jesus, my daughter is dying. We can't stop at the Goshen Clinic on 33 and heal everybody else. Let's get going. And in our mind, our natural mind, it's like, Jesus can't do that and do that at the same time. Or, hey, lady, I'm here first. I love you and everything, but you have been sick for 12 years. What's one more day? I'm just being very human. Or, hey, all you people that keep tugging and pulling at his cloak, listen to me. We're going a couple rounds. Or let's just be very human. I'm getting real ticked right now. And, and I'm, I'm confessing. And Jesus is at any. Because my daughter believes in her daddy. And I saw my wife crying. And the last I heard from my wife, Ann, was, Jim, you got to get Jesus here. And everything else would feel like a diversion. It's like, God, hurry up. Hurry up, God. However, one man's faith journey allowed another person to find healing too. Think about that. 
had this, had this man never stopped in and start Jesus in this direction to, her, to his house. I wonder as I read this account, would this woman ever even had the chance to be healed had not one man's faith believed that God could and put him in motion? See, God is able to not only hear your request, but to hear the request of one billion other Christians and collectively do everything he wants at the same time. So what happens? Feel the frustration of this dad? Look at verse 30. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my what? What's it say? Clothes. Verse 31. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples asked, enter sarcasm. And you can ask, who touched me? Like, duh. Verse 32. But Jesus, what's it say? Kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the bleeding woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with what? What's it say? Fear. Told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, you're what has healed you. Faith. She believed. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Okay, let's just just be very human here. Sometimes we over-spiritualize people. You can imagine the impatience building in this father. Like, come on, let's go, let's go. Like, praise, hallelujah, praise God. I'm happy for you to get out of here, okay? Let's go. Like, seriously. Like, I'm on a mission. I'm getting my daughter. And Jesus, I'm bringing you to her. And nothing's stopping me. You see, sometimes God's timing and our timing are at the same place on the calendar. But don't ever, ever give up or throw in the towel when it looks like the road appears to be blocked. You see, God often teaches us more in the delays of our lives than any other time. Amen? You see, what I'm learning as I age, and by the way, I don't like it, I'm as impatient as the next guy. Imagine that, huh? The word of God says, those that wait upon the Lord, their strength shall be what? Renewed. You see, it's often in the delay that our faith is tested the most. When God takes an exit ramp with us, we have a choice to make. Do I still believe? See, getting off the bus doesn't guarantee you a win, but it gives you a fighting chance because Jesus is with you. But you can't stay on the bus and beat the opponent. You see, this dad knew back home that his wife was crying when he left. And his last goodbye with his daughter broke his heart. And he probably told her, come hell or high water, Hannah, I'm bringing Jesus. (laughs) Even if it takes my life, Jesus is coming to see you, honey. So this father was on a mission. You see, but he would not let a divine delay squash his dream. You and I must believe when others have given up. Look at verse 35. I mean, just follow this on. It's an amazing story of faith. We must continue to believe when others have given up. Verse 35 says, while Jesus was still what? What's it say? Speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, 
And look what they say. Look at verse 35. Your daughter is what? Why bother the teacher anymore? Now his faith is really being tested. Your daughter is dead. Like, staff members, volunteers, ministry leaders coming. They chased him out. Someone, someone go tell Jairus, go tell dad. Just get on back. It's over. The child's dead. The dream's dead. Forget it. The death certificate's been written. Go get him and tell him he's wasting his time. So can you imagine being on that mission? You're gone and you're telling this dad, hey, quit bothering Jesus for crying out loud. He's done with you. Now that's the kind of support you need around you, isn't it? You see, your hope to get that job is gone. Someone else got it. So just give up. Your dream to become that entrepreneur, that, that whatever it is. Listen, someone else got it. It's not going to happen. Just give up. Your hope to see reconciliation with your mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, teacher, coach, whomever it is. Forget it, forget it. With your wife, forget it. With your husband, he's got, a, he's got another girlfriend. Just, just don't run to Jesus anymore. Just, just, it's dead. Your hope to get healthy again is now shattered because the doctor said you got three weeks to live. So just give up. Go lay in bed and sing Kumbaya. Like that's what we really need from faith-believing Jesus, teammates. I pray that you're not that teammate. Stop and consider this for a second. He was a daddy on a mission up to this point and everything was still go. I wonder what his initial response was when he heard that word that his daughter was dead. Did he fall on his knees? Just say, please, Jesus, tell me it's not so. Did he fall on his knees and say, I still believe, even though they just handed me a death certificate, even though there's a hearse parked outside of my home, even though my daughter is laying in a casket, even though the mourners are out wailing, I still believe that my God is able to bring life to dead things. See, it's in these kind of moments that we truly show what we really believe in. See, the issue of God is not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in. You see, most Christians, I hope it isn't you this year, confuse understanding God with believing in God. This dad's faith was now being tested big time as was his mission. If this were me, here's what I would probably wonder if I got that report from someone in the church. They said, Jim, come on home. Like, don't bother Jesus anymore. Don't offer any more prayers. Like, first I just, and then then I pray and confess my sin. And he would edit that and I'd be glad and I'd move on. But then I'd wonder, I wonder how my wife was doing. I just want to be with her. Had to be hard. Like she was left all alone and Hannah's dead. And it would kill me to know that I wasn't there when my daughter breathed her last breath. Can you imagine the emotion of this father? He's a real person. I would probably have to give over the anger that I might be surfacing towards the people that were still tugging at his cloak and 
I'd probably be angry at the bleeding woman. And I would have to give it over, and I'd have to talk to myself and confess the sin that I was dwelling on in my mind. I would probably be ticked at my own church members who stopped believing in Jesus. Picture that scene. They say, dude, quit bothering, Jim, quit bothering Jesus. Quit bringing that same request. Why do you keep praying about it? It's dead. There is nothing Jesus can do for you now. Have you ever been there? When humanly you get the facts that the dream is dead, but you know in your heart of hearts that there's still a possibility. Like, even though everyone else is saying, that'll never happen here. (laughs) Why would he do that for you? But you know, even though you keep getting the death reports from the people back in the church, you just know that God hasn't taken that dream from you and you wake up in the morning and there's still this faith brewing inside of you. I love how Isaiah said it in Isaiah twenty two twenty two says, what he opens, no one can shut and what he shuts, no one can open. What's Jesus' response to all this? Well, look at verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just what? What's he say? Believe. Just believe. I love this scene because somehow Jesus, as he was moving, crowded by all these people and pressing forward to see Jairus' daughter, he has the time and the ability to overhear another conversation. And even though he's on a mission, so he looks at this father who was probably distraught and says, hey, 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 hold on. <laughs> Don't be afraid. <laughs> even though they said she's dead, listen, just believe. You see, my concern is not whether God is on our side, but whether or not we are on his side in times like this. Fear has a way of keeping people on the bus. Our belief begins with words we speak to ourselves. And the way we overcome our fear is to believe we can win in the power of the Lord. Listen, once you get off the bus, listen. Don't retreat back to the bus. It's game day. And the biblical word for win is testimony. It's the way we borrow faith from others. In order to have a testimony, you have to pass a test. I love this dad's faith here. This is the kind of man I long to see developed and are being developed at Grace Community Church. Men who have the odds stacked against them, yet they press on in the power of the Lord. Real men, strong men, faithful men that continue to fight even when they get a death certificate from their friends. Even When there is death, there is hope in Jesus. Men who never give up, men who never back down, when an opponent is bigger and seemingly invincible, not weak, complaining, angry, wimpy men who go to Facebook and tell you how horrible their life is. Get off the bus and believe in Jesus. You see, when you step off the bus, people will laugh at your faith. (laughs) I wish I, and I just toss them, but I wish through the years, they're almost comical to me. You can see the emails, the texts, the Facebook messages, and the voicemails I've received through the years from naysayers. People who told me that'll never happen here. 
Look what happens in verse 38 and 37. Look at 37, it says this. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, as he walked into the home. Verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing what? What's it say? Loudly. There is absolutely no retreat as we see in the text here. I've often wondered what happened to the man that told him and the people that told him not to bother with Jesus anymore. The issue is never God's power. It's our faith in his power. So what happens? Verse 39, look what happens. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they what at him? What's your Bible say? They laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Stop and consider this scene. Mom's crying. People are wailing. And during this time, you know what they do? They would actually hire professional mourners. And these professional mourners would come to your house if someone died in your home and they would stand outside and they were paid to cry. They were paid to wail. And so neighbors... Blocks away could hear people wailing, knew there was a death. And so as Jesus comes on the scene, they're wailing, they're crying. The, the hearse is parked outside. The daughter is in a casket. And Jesus says, hey, what is all this commotion? She's not dead. She's just asleep. Can you imagine Jesus? Are you kidding me? You see, if Jesus says it's not dead, it's not dead. See, no dream is dead unless Jesus declares it to be dead. And until he does, we must believe that Jesus brings dead things back to life. Amen? They laughed at him. And what did he do after they laughed at him? He says, he, it says it, he, he threw them out. Can you imagine? Get out of here. Like, you faithless follower. I don't know who you're following, but you're not following. Get! Jesus, who had healed the sick, who had who had cast out demons, is now there. And he's standing there, and they still don't believe. They're laughing at him. Like, what do you mean commotion? She's dead. The problem is this. They were placing their faith in the name on the back of the jersey instead of the one on the front of the jersey. I wonder how many miracles you have left in heaven because you were afraid to get off the bus on earth. Please, don't let that happen in 2017. What happens? Look at verse 41. Look, let's just close it up. Look what happens. He took the girl by the hand and said to her, Talithia kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get what? What's it say? Up. up. Verse 42, what's the first word? Immediately. Immediately. The girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely what? What's it say? Astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and they told them to give her something to eat. By the way, it's a good thing that Jesus took her by the hand and looked at her and said, little girl, and he looked her in the eye. It's a good thing he took her hand and only her hand because when he said, good, get up, had he not just directed to her that every little girl in the graveyard 100 miles from there would have gone up too. Because when Jesus speaks, dead things come to life. You see, you will never be able to tell it like it is until you believe it like it was. And I hope this year that's you. Let's just be very, very frank here. When it comes to raising people from the dead, it's no more difficult than it is for us to raise someone up from a nap for Jesus. Like, get up. Hey, hey, it's time to get up from your nap. 
okay, get up. And when you walk in, your child's napping. It's not like you wonder if they're going to get up. You know they're going to get up. They might try to roll over and get a little extra sleep. But you know there's going to come a point they're going to get up. It's no more difficult for Jesus to do that to a dead person than it does for us to raise our kid from a nap. The text says that they were completely astonished. Let me just say this today. Some of you, you're afraid of your opponent. And you think you're going to get ground down. Some of you have been sitting on this bus for far too long. It's time to get off the bus in 2017. Get off the bus and watch God do great exploits through you. Are you in? Oh, Lord, I pray that this would be the year. I pray, God, that this would be the year that you would do great exploits in us. I pray that we would believe by faith and that we would get off the bus in 2017 and believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We believe in the resurrection. And because of that, we can get up off the bus and walk in the power of the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask you to stand as we declare that truth in song. Don't give up. You got to push through this. Look in the mirror, man. I promise you can do this. And any talk of giving in and tapping out is foolish. I understand you're shaking. And it might feel like you're breaking. But you're a child of God and you're not a slave to Satan. And you're not a slave to fear. And to every kid out there, I pray that you hear that you're unbreakable because your faith is unshakable. And when you think you can't, God is able. In front of your enemies, he goes to prepare a table. He feeds the hungry and lifts up the down and out. It's time as people, we are sounding out, standing tall, deaf to the naysayers. We drown them out on the highway to better places. We have no time for roundabout. We have no time for excuses. You got to get out of bed and say to yourself, I can do this. I can push through this. Nothing can stop me. The devil can't drop me. Shakeable, that's not me. I'm unshakable. Because Jesus overcame, I'm unbreakable. Because he knows my name, put on the jersey, step into the battle with the armor of the Lord. You can't be rattled. The war has already been won. When he said it is finished, it meant it is done. Just strap up your boots and pick up your Bible. Step to your enemies in humility when you conquer your rivals. You're a child of God. Be proud of that title because I promise you, he's proud of you. And when God is with you, nothing can be stopping you. Nothing can be holding you. And there's no trial that he can't pull you through. So whether you're walking in the valley, and I don't know if you're walking through the alley, Let this anthem of freedom become a battle crowd rally. Perseverance of persecution means points when God is keeping tally. You can't be average. You can't live out your life without being lavish because a mediocre pursuit is tragic. You can keep your luck because blessings are higher than magic. I serve the God of David who created the Atlas. So come on, man, get off of the mattress and don't let someone's no become your yes. They can't hold you when you're living for God's best. 
You got the heart of a lion beating in that chest. It's a fight out there. There's no time for rest. He hung the stars as far as the east is from the west. He created you new and you've been put to the test. Don't fail out. Don't cop out. Just keep fighting. Remember who sent you. They couldn't have lived what you've lived through. Don't let them break you. When the world tries to bend you, let the lion, your God, defend you. You're a warrior with a purpose to live. Every second sold out. I promise it's worth it. They might mock you with laughter, but they weren't given the same call that you're currently after. Steph Curry shooting threes without worries of those in the rafters. Life won't always be a hole-in-one at the Masters. But like Usain Bolt, you gotta keep running faster and faster. There's no time to slow up. It's game day daily, and you better show up. And when people attack you, they gotta grow up. Just keep pushing it into practice until you blow up. The world says stop. God says go. Christ said yes. The culture said no. But you were created great, and it's never too late to get started today because dreams can't wait point guard your team to get out there and play. Stand for Jesus and let the whole world see it. Let your life be a story that brings God's glory. You can, you can, you can. Through Jesus, it's possible. I serve the same God who turned the killer into an apostle. We don't serve a dead king in a tomb like a fossil. The artwork of my God outshines the best paintings by Picasso. You're his favorite work of art. The world can't define you when you know who you are. So get up and start fighting. Stop wishing on stars. You don't need to be the prettiest, the fastest, or the tallest. You were designed by your creator and his purpose is flawless. And in his eyes, you are suitable. I'm telling you, man, you're beautiful. And no league or commissioner can determine your worth because you can't put a price tag on people whose Savior created the earth. Woo!